Come on, would you put your hands together real quick? It's, it's such an honor to have an opportunity to recognize and celebrate Dr. King and all that he stood for. Not, not only did he have uh, a dream, but I believe his dream was founded by Scripture. It was founded by the Word of God. And when you hear the things he said, a lot of them are Scripture. Um, and for a man whose dream was all about greater, I think it's kind of cool that it falls right in line with our vision and our word for the year. If you were with us last Sunday, uh, I talked about how at the beginning of every year, we, we tend to ask the Lord for a word that would kind of set the trajectory of where we're going to go as a church for the year. And it, it really focuses our prayer and our preaching and those kinds of things. And that this year, our word was greater. And we found it on Joshua chapter 1, 7, and 8, which I'll come to in a moment. Um, but we talked about how the pathway to get there and this idea of greater marriages and greater finances and greater mental health and all of these ideas. And, and I did share that it may also mean greater spiritual warfare and greater hardship. And, but the pathway to greater was going to be a greater Bible engagement in ourselves and our homes. And so we talked about that idea that we need to get into the word uh, individually and as a family or if you're in a relationship. And so we kind of asked you to, to come along with our 21-day fast where we're asking you to set aside time to be in the Word. We introduced you to the Bible Engagement Project app, which you can get at the Welcome Center on a QR code when you leave if you don't have it. And it has all these different age-specific devotions. So if you're uh, a family that has children, you can do devotions with them. If you are married or in a significant relationship, you could do a devotion with them. Or if you're single, you can actually get on the app and link with other friends or other church members and do that devotional. You don't have to be in the same room, but you can do that devotional and have comments between one another on that app. And so uh, if, if we're now a week into this, if you didn't start last Sunday, start this Sunday. It's really not necessarily about you having to start last and as much as it is you doing it and, and working into this pattern and principle of your life where you are seeking greater by greater Bible engagement. Amen? Uh, I do like to take a second always, and for those of you that give financially, faithfully to our church every month, let you know kind of where some of that money's going. You're going to hear a lot of great, great things over the next couple months. But one of the things we're very excited about is we partner with a phenomenal organization called Men of Valor. Men of Valor is uh, about four or five minutes from here, uh, and it's a program for men who are coming out of the prison system, and it's discipleship, and it's helping them kind of get their life back on track and their feet back on the ground. Uh, and we actually have some men who are in Men Valor who call victory their home and just incredible, incredible men. And one of the things we get to do every year that we're excited about is we get to have them. And this year they're with us. Last year we went to them. This year they're in the building for one of their graduations. And so every quarter or so they do a graduation and, and they highlight the men and how far along they are. And it's just a phenomenal time. And so because of those that give faithfully, not only will we be able to open up the doors for them to come into a heated place and have their graduation, but we'll be providing dinner, a catered meal for them that night. Uh, I will share a little bit and our worship team will lead worship a little bit. But I want to invite you, first of all, I want to thank you. It's because of your, uh, your faithful giving that we're able to do that. But also I want to invite you in case you'd like to volunteer and be a part of it. Volunteer-wise, you can help us uh, greet and open the door and let the men come in, shake hands and meet them and love on them. You can also help us serve the food as well as clean up once we're done. And so if that's something you'd like to be a part of, whether you just want to come and be in the audience and, and watch what God's doing, or if you would like to actually physically help, when you leave today, if you swing by the Welcome Center and let them know that you want to be a part of that event, we'll get your contact info and let you know. It starts at 530, Tuesday, February 6th is the date. Tuesday, February 6th, right here in the church. It's going to be a great time. Amen? Amen. Hey, you ready for the word? 
All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4, all right? We're going to, the meat of this message is going to be in Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read to you our, our verse of the year in a moment, but go ahead and put your finger on or get your phone there, whatever you might be using, whether it's a paper Bible. I love looking out and seeing people take notes and things like that. So Matthew chapter 4 is where you're going to be. If you don't have a phone or a Bible or whatever it might be, you can follow along uh, on the screen behind me. Uh, our verse for the year is Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 through 8, and it says this. It says, be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. It goes on to say, do not turn from it, right, or to the left, but stay focused on it so that you may be successful wherever you go. Everybody say successful. successful. goes on to say, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you can quote it when you need to quote it, so you can hide it in your heart so that you can use it when you need to, and be careful to do everything written in it. And when you do, you will be prosperous. Everybody say prosperous. prosperous. And successful. Everybody say successful. successful. This is where we got this idea that if you and I would increase the engagement in the Word of God in our lives, we will be prosperous, we will be successful. James 1 says we will be blessed, and we believe that we will experience a greater life as a result of greater Bible engagement. We are believing this year for greater, and I thought that it was uh, appropriate today to talk to you from this idea, the enemies of greater. That as you and I are out believing that God is going to do greater things in our life, and, and you really have to take that concept greater and apply it to your life. Is, is it greater marriage? Is it greater financial health? Is it greater mental health? Is it greater physical health? Um, next Sunday, I will ask you to identify that in your life. You won't identify it publicly to me, but to yourself and, and your family. And there will be a, a step of faith in asking God to do that. But I, I really want you to be reflecting on what are you asking God to do greater in your life this year. I, I spoke last year, or, or sorry, last Sunday, that uh, researchers suggest that 63% of Americans will come up with a New Year's resolution. That there will be something in their life that you know, wasn't good last year, that they want to be better this year, and so they're going to will themselves, right, to be better. Um, but the same researcher said that only 9% of those people actually followed through with their resolution. So 63% present one, and out of 100% of those people who present one, 9% actually follow through with. In fact, he said 23% of those that quit, quit before the first week is over. 43% of those who quit, quit before the first month is over. So 66% of the people who were going to set out to will themselves to be better in the new year have given up before February 1st. And it made me ask this question. If God has called us to greater things, then why do most people not experience them? If we believe what the Bible says, that God has plans for us and there's plans to prosper and that he believes he's going to move us or his word says that he's going to move us into a, a greater thing, then how come most people don't experience them? I mean, we have more resource than ever before. We're listening to podcasts. We're watching YouTube videos. We're reading articles and books. We have life coaches. You know, we have all these different resources now to help us move into this concept of greater, but yet we're not getting there. And the more I thought about it, the more I came to this conclusion. There is, in fact, an enemy working very hard to bring us down and to keep us down. 
I spoke with a young lady after service last week, and, and, and she was so blessed to be here, and then she explained to me how hard it was for her to get here. Because we have to understand that there is a working enemy. Can I, can I help you understand something? Your dreams that God's given you, there's an enemy working hard against it. The, the marriage that you dreamed of, there's an enemy working hard against it. This financial freedom you wanted to be in, there's an enemy working hard against it. You're, you're a student in school, there's an enemy working hard against you. You're a young person looking to have a, start a family, find a relationship, there's an enemy working hard against it. There is an enemy that wants to sabotage God's plan for your greater life. Yeah. And if you believe that, then this message today is really going to be able to help you. Now, here's what I think. I think we tend to cast blame to outward things that we can't control and, cause, and call them to be the reason that we can't experience greater. Yeah. I think we pick something, and I think it's this weird idea that if we pick something out of our control, then we are now justified to settle for less. Like, like, if you tell me that God has a greater plan for me, but then I can say, well, that won't happen because of this, something that's totally outside of my control, then I can be justified to just settle for less than. You know, if I say something like, um, God's got greater plans for your finances, well, I just don't, I don't make enough money. Well, conversation's over, right? Like, like, you've brought up a restriction that's outside of your control, and now that's been enough justification for you to stop believing for greater. And if you want greater in your job, right, and then you just come up and say, well, you know, I, my, my boss doesn't like me. Like you're able to find something that's outside of your control. And here's what I believe. I believe that our enemy operates more inside than we would like to admit. I would like to say that the roadblocks to greater are less outward issues outside of our control and more inward issues that you and I, if we will follow the Holy Spirit, gives us self-control. And I actually think it's the same enemies that were trying to keep Jesus from the greater that he came to put into motion. I'll show you that in Matthew chapter 4. If you have it in your Bibles as you're turning there, what's happening is Jesus has just been baptized in water by John the Baptist, and he's about to begin his ministry. And before he begins his ministry, the Holy Spirit sends him to the wilderness to, to be tempted and fast for 40 days. And I think that in that whole story, we're going to see three different attempts from the enemy to throw Jesus off of this pathway to greater. And I don't think the enemy's creative, and I don't think the enemy has any new tricks, and I think the enemy's using the same three enemies he used against Jesus to try to use against us to stop us from being able to embrace the greater that God's already promised us. So I'm going to show you those three things, and I'm going to show you them in Matthew chapter 4. Number one is this. Our first enemy, I think, is our flesh. If we were to personalize it, it would be my insecurities. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 4. We'll start with verse 1. Watch what this says in regards to Jesus being tempted by the enemy. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Most obvious scripture in the Bible, right? After eating, not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. But then the tempter came to him and said, hey, if you're the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Hey, if you're hungry, then just make yourself something to eat, right? And then Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
The first time that the enemy comes to tempt Jesus to try to throw him off the track of greater, he goes after what the enemy assumes would be his weakness. He understands that Jesus is physically weak. He's been fasting. He's hungry. And the enemy always has a way to go after our weakness, our insecurities, our flesh. I have found over and over and over again that one of the greatest enemies of the greater life that God has promised me, watch, is me. Can I get any amens? I have found that one of the greatest enemies in between me and what God has for me is not you as much as I want it to be. It's me. Give you some examples. Either I set out to pursue the greater that God has for me and I start to really evaluate what I don't have. Start to evaluate my weaknesses, my insecurities, where I don't measure up, where I don't add up. If that doesn't happen, then I might find myself in comparison and I start to compare myself to other people and I go, man, God can do great things in their life because they have this and that, but God can't do those greater things in me because I don't have that. And so I'm either looking at my weaknesses and my shortcomings or I'm comparing myself to others and what I lack or let's just be honest with you, I just fail and fall to my flesh nature. And if you're like me and you've, you've ever experienced one of those three or if you're really like me and you've experienced all three of them at different times depending on what day of the week it is, then it's possible for you to believe that God can do great things but you just crop yourself out of the picture. I've never struggled with believing that God does great things. I've never struggled believing that God's going to do greater things. Where I tend to struggle is believing that I'm a part of the narrative. And so what I want to do is I want to crop my, I want, you know, y'all, y'all know that you're all on Instagram and social media and you crop, this is over here in this picture, you don't want it, so you crop the picture down. I see the greater things God's doing, but I want to automatically crop me out of it. Monday, we sat down with our family to do our devotional, the Bible Engagement Project app, which I encourage you to get. And we're sitting down, and and one of the verse for the day was the verse about hiding his word in my heart so that I might not sin against God. And it's kind of a short verse, and it's kind of easy to to memorize. And so towards the end of our devotional time, my 9-year-old is to my left, my 13-year-old is to my right, my wife's across from me at the table, and we decided we're going to do a memory verse. And I mentioned that if you can memorize the verse by Friday, I'll take you to Andy's to get some ice cream, right? So all of a sudden, attention is high. You know what I mean? Like people went from, uh, to I'm a theology major. You know what I mean? Let's go. Uh, but they thought we, at first we were going to memorize that verse, you know, hide the word in my heart and so I might not sin against God. And, and so they were excited about it because they had, they, we had been talking about it. They would kind of already memorized it. But I didn't like the fact that we had kind of already memorized it. And so I said, instead, let's do Joshua 1.8. It's our verse for the year. It'd be great for y'all to be able to memorize it. Let's do Joshua 1.8. And they're like, no, because when we read it, it seems way longer than the original verse. And there's big words in it like meditate, you know, and day. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where, where they're just like, no. And so, so Casey Ray is fighting us. She's like, I want to memorize the other one. This one's too long. I can't do it. And she's, just, I, she's like, I can't, I can't. And, and my wife, being the spiritual woman that she is, settles the whole table down. And she goes, well, you know, they say that if you write it, it helps you memorize it. So we get up and we get post-it notes and we all have our post-it notes. We're writing the verse out. And, you know, Casey Ray's still a little hesitant. She's trying. Beta's already memorized it, you know. And uh, Darla says, why don't you go put that on the mirror so that whenever you brush your teeth and get ready for bed, you'll, you'll be able to read it instead. And she's like, okay, cool. 
So maybe an hour goes by, maybe not even that, and I, I happen to be walking past the bathroom where she's brushing her teeth, her bed, and I can hear her going like, meditate, keep this law on your lips, and meditate on it day and night. And I can hear her like practicing it literally as she's brushing her teeth. And then again, maybe 30, 45 minutes later, I'm putting her to bed, and she's already memorized the verse. So in the matter of two or three hours, we went from, I can't do this, to now she's quoting the verse where every day of this week, she's come up to us and goes, you want to hear the Bible verse? <laughs> Quote it, because the girl knows she's getting ice cream, right? So it matters. Some of us need to know that if we'll trust God, we'll get ice cream. Amen? Yeah. That's a good enough God for me. Let's go. But I, I tell you that because like her, so many of us crop ourselves out of this greater picture that God has for us before we even allow ourselves to get started. That before we even really embrace the fact that God wants to do something greater in you, you already have a reason why you're disqualified. You already have an excuse to why God can't do it to you. You already crop yourself out of it before you realize that it's not how great you are. It's how great God is. And so we have to get to a point where we understand that God doesn't do greater things because we're great people. That's important for you to grasp. If God was only going to do greater things through great people, we'd be in a lot of trouble. You are in a broken, or let me say that, you are in a church with broken people led by a broken pastor. The only thing that makes me great and this church great and you great is the greatness of God. He doesn't do great things through great people. He does great things through anyone who is willing to trust him in greater ways. When we trust him to do something greater, when we surrender our lives and say, I'm nothing without you, I will be less so that you can increase, I'll decrease so you can increase, there's nothing special about me, it's all about you, I surrender to you. When we have that posture, God can move into greater things, but we have to understand it's not about who you are or what you've done or where you come from or who your parents are, it's all about him. And do not let the enemy tell you that because you are too short or too tall or too this or not enough of that, that you are disqualified from the greater of God. In fact, real greatness isn't adding self-esteem. It's subtracting self-reliance. The greater that God has for your life is not you in a corner trying to talk yourself. Come on, you can do this. You can do greater. It's you admitting that you can. It's not self-esteem. It's not more, give me more. It's less. Let me get rid of this self-reliance so that my weakness will reveal Christ's strength. And when I'm open and when I'm vulnerable, I can be realistic about my goals and I can be realistic and unlock the greatest potential I have through God. For those of you that are in here and you're just convinced that the greater that I talk about, you'll never be able to embrace because of something you've done or something you did or somewhere you've been or a place that you or a thing that you feel like you are or whatever the excuse may be that the enemy is feeding you. I'm telling you that it doesn't matter who you are. You can walk into greater because he is great. Father, let me decrease and let your name be increased. So the first enemy of you and I walking into greater is just our flesh. It's our insecurities. It's our weaknesses. Second is kind of the other side of the coin. 
It's our pride. If I was to personalize it, I would say my ego. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. This time in verse 5 is where we'll begin. Watch this. It says, then the devil took him, to the, him being Jesus, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if, everybody say if, if, <laughs> this is a moment where the enemy is challenging Christ's identity. If, if you are, that, that's one of those challenges you give to somebody. If you're going to do something, do something. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a challenge. Like I remember in high school, if you said something like that, you got popped in the mouth. You know what I mean? Like, like if if you are the son of God, he said, then throw yourself down. And he goes on and then watch what Jesus says. He says, do not put your Lord God to the test. The first attack of the enemy was trying to see if Jesus had any weaknesses. The second attack of the enemy is trying to see if Jesus has pride. Is he so prideful that now not only will he admit that he's not too weak, but now he'll admit it's because of history, Right? Before you and I can unlock greater, we must be willing to admit that we do not have it all together. This has to be a place where you can walk in and go, you know what, I don't have that figured out. There has to be a place where you can admit that, you know, when it comes to that, I'm missing the mark. If if there's no other place, if church isn't that place, where do you go? You know, one of the saddest things that I'm hearing in our culture today is because the church has lost its ability to be a place that says you can come in and say, I'm not okay and that's okay. That now a lot of these other like, I only know them in the context of cults and gangs and things like that. But these other groups of people have become so welcoming to people that they are going there instead of the church. So they're following a false God instead of Christ because they're feeling like when they come into the presence of God, they can't come in broken saying, I don't know. I don't have it figured out. I don't know the answer to that. And memorize that scripture. I hadn't read my Bible this week. I don't know. I made that mistake failed there. I did. I don't know. I'm I'm weak. I'm failing. I messed up. I made a mistake. The first step for us to actually be able to unlock greater is to admit that you aren't great. You see, pride has a way of saying that everyone else is the problem. It's the husband who says, I'm a great husband. My wife, that's that's the problem. We don't know that's ever true, right? It's the person that says, "Uh, I'm great with money. I just don't make enough. You know, pushing off the blame. It's the person who goes, I'm a hard worker. It's just my boss doesn't like me. Like we start to kind of, it's that pride in us that, that pushes off the fact, watch this, that, it, that we could be the problem. Right? That, that maybe, just maybe, surprise, maybe we don't have it all together. Maybe there's an area that we need to work on. Maybe there's an area that the Spirit of God could correct But if we're not willing to humble ourselves and admit that, we just keep moving forward, pretending like we got it all figured out. And watch this. Fake greatness will keep us from greater. When you keep pretending like your marriage is good, that keeps you from having a great marriage. When you keep pretending like you got money, and so you're putting everything on credit cards, that that will actually prevent you from getting to a place of greater financial health. This, this idea of fake greatness, this idea of, of putting an image out there to make you think that I'm better off than I am. Why? Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened. 
For my yoke is easy. He tells you that, let me know that you're struggling and I will give you my strength and take on your weakness. We don't serve a God who is put off by our weakness. We don't serve a God who is expecting you to have it all together before you walk in the door. It defeats his whole biblical purpose. Real freedom and real greater is in you and I being able to admit, I'm not that great. Not that great. The first, first time I ever went on a trip with Darla's parents. It's my first time actually really meeting them. We went out of town, me, her, and her parents, and her, bro- her brother and his girlfriend, and we went snow skiing in St. Louis. Now, in case you're newer to the church, I'm from the hood, and so I don't go snow skiing, right? Where I grew up, you used a snow mask for one reason, <laughs> and it wasn't skiing, all right? Fill in that blank on your own in case there's kids in here. So, so when, we, when we show up to this ski resort, I mean, I don't know what's going on. And so we go in, and then, you know, I got all my, 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 my outfit that I just bought for this one thing, and I hadn't worn since, you know, and I put it on and put my little boots on and put, get the skis, and we walk by, and there is a free class, y'all, a free, everybody say free, free class that, that teaches you how to ski. So you can go into it for free and learn how to ski before you go pretend like you know how to ski. But everybody I was with was very athletic, and they all knew how to ski. So they all look at me, and they go, you want to go to the class? And I'm like, "Nah, I got it. That's pride, guys. <laughs> so then we go around, and there's this thing. I'd never seen it before. And it's like a rope on a conveyor belt. And it just goes around like this. And it's on a hill, not, not a slope, not a mountain, a hill. And you, you grab onto it, and, and it kind of takes you up the hill. And then you turn around and kind of ski down the hill. And then you do it again until you feel like you get the hang of it, and then you can ride the ski lift up to an actual slope. So I'm, I'm on it for a little while, and I've learned nothing. Uh, I'm, I'm scared to death. And everybody's like, all right, y'all ready? And I'm like, yep, because that's pride, y'all. So we get on the ski lift, which was crazy in itself, and we get up to the top. And since everybody, and since I have made it clear that I know what I'm doing, one by one, Darla and her dad and her mom, they all just, boom, go down the slope, boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know what to do. I've never done this before. So there's kind of a, an, an instructor, an employee there, and I looked at him, I said, I don't, you know, what do I do? I don't know how to ski. How do I get down the slope? And he said, oh, it's easy. He said, if you want to go fast, French fry, all right, which means you just keep your, your little skis in front of you like two French fries. I said, what if you want to stop? He said, pizza. I said, what's pizza? He said, you just put your ankle or, or your toes or your feet in like that and it create kind of, a, kind of a pizza shape and it'll slow you down. And I was like, oh, fries, pizza. So, you know, we take the little poles and, you know, and now we're going. And, and we just, start, I mean, this hill is insane, all right? I feel like it was a black diamond. Probably wasn't, you know, but I'm flying down it, going crazy, and I'm doing the whole French fry thing, and I'm just having a good time. And then all of a sudden, just because I've watched a few ski movies, I remember that they did this cool thing where they kind of put their poles out and kind of like, you know, did it. Y'all seen cool runnings, you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of these kind of like, let's go. And so I wanted to be cool. And so I just kind of put my poles out and, hmm. And I had no idea that that makes you like aerodynamic. And so you start going really, really fast. And I'm flying. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm going way too fast. I don't know how to stop. I don't even know what that looks like. So I do what the instructor told me, and I do pizza. And so I just, boom, go in. And nothing happens, all right? I'm going just as fast, except I look like this doing it. And so I'm panicking. People flying by me. Good day. I'm like, good day. Pride, okay? And so pizza going in. And I'm starting to panic because I'm getting closer and closer to the point to where it is no longer a hill. Now it's just flat ground. And there is this group of people who apparently are really good at skiing just standing around 
talking. They're just having a good old time, drinking hot chocolate. They have no idea that they are seconds away from being murdered, all right? It's, it's, it's amazing. And so I'm flying down, and I realize no matter how, you know, I'm getting this whole deal. And no matter how much I do it, I'm not stopping. So I'm, I'm calculating it. I, I've seen movies. I know what's about to happen. It's going to be ugly. There's going to be blood, decapitations. Like, it's going to be rough. And so I'm in my midst of panic. Meanwhile, I keep in mind, meanwhile, my family, they're going back up the ski slopes to go down again. They have no idea I am seconds away from death. And so I'm trying to figure out what to do. And all of a sudden it hit me. I remember that in those same movies I watched about skiing, when those guys wanted to stop and they wanted to roll up to a girl to say, what's up? They would like turn sideways like this and like, shh, you know, and they kind of like their body, hey girl, you know, kind of slide in like that. And so I was like, well, then when this, when this thing gets written, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just jump over and shh, and I'll be, I'll be good. It'll be awesome. Well, apparently, when you are coming downhill and going at a high speed and you decide to jump up and go sideways, instead of stopping, you just start cutting cartwheels. You just boom, 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 boom. And I mean, you know, snow's everywhere. It looks like a blizzard came through the St. Louis Ski Resort. And, and here's the best part, is my wife and her father, they're going back up the slopes to go back to ski again, and they see it happening. And they're like, I wonder who that is. And they had no idea it was me. I tell you that to tell you, I got in that situation because of my pride. Because at any point, I could have said, hey guys, I know y'all are professional athletes, but I've never skied before. So I need to go to this free class so that I can learn how to ski. But because of that pride, instead of doing that, I kept putting myself in places that I wasn't ready to be in. And according to scripture, pride is the disposition of the heart that brings opposition from God. It's the place that you and I arrive at where God can't change. God can't stretch. God can't grow. God can't move us from good enough to greater because of our pride. Because we don't want to admit that we're not great already. So that pride and that fake greatness actually stops the presence of God from being able to move in and bring change in our lives. The word says that God opposes the proud. That when he comes in to move in and to do great things, he sees the pride and walks away. He can't move in our lives because of the pride. For you and I to enter into the greater that God has for us, watch, there's going to be a moment where God asks us to do something that will deliver a death blow to our pride. If you're wanting a greater marriage, there will be a moment where God asks you to do something that is going to be a death blow to your pride. If you want a greater financial life, if you want a greater walk with the Lord, if you, want, if you have a dream and you want a, a greater working process, if you just want a greater life, there's going to be a moment where the Spirit of God asks you to do something and it's going to take a blow to your pride. I actually believe that the greater God has for your life is right on the other side of your pride. That if we can humble ourselves and say, you know what, I don't have it figured out. Hey, I'm not good at that. Hey, I'm failing. Hey, I'm lying. Hey, who I'm telling you I am under this mask, I'm not. If we can stop pretending like we're strong enough because we all know we're not, but we keep up a facade 
And the entire time, all we're doing is delaying the greater that God has for us. Instead of being willing to just say, hey, you know what? I can't do this. I need God. And at that moment, when that humility hits, the presence of God and the spirit of God can step in. And what was once good, God can start moving to great. So the first enemy is just our flesh. It's my insecurities. It's my weakness. The second enemy is our pride. It's my ego. The third enemy is this. It's our compromise. Watch this. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. This time, starting at verse 8. It says, again, now this, what I'm about to read to you is pretty mind-blowing to me. Again, the devil took him, to him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And then the enemy said to Jesus, all of this I'll give to you if you will bow down and worship me. That's mind-blowing to me. This is the Son of God. This is uh, uh, one-third of the Holy Trinity. Jesus was there when these things were created. And now you got this little punk saying, if, if you will worship me, then you can have these things? I, I, you know, it's funny because it says... Uh, Jesus responded first, away from me. And I, all I could picture was that, that your grandma, when she would kind of raise her hand, like, like, you better get away from me. You know what I mean? Just, just like Jesus so blown away that the enemy would even suggest this. He says, get away from me, Satan. He says, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The enemy tried to Jesus to settle for less than what God had planned for him. And the enemy wants you and I to believe for less than greater so that we will compromise our life and settle for it. You see, there's this lie that a lot of us are being told on an everyday basis of like things like this. Um, I know, you, I know you are believing for a greater relationship, but nobody will ever love you. And it's a lie that will move you into a place where you will compromise and settle for less than what God has for you. See what I mean? If we were talking about finances, there's this lie going around that, you know, you'll, you'll, never, you know, you'll never make enough money. You'll never be able to get out of that. You'll always be in debt. It's a lie that gets you to compromise and settle for less than what God has for you. Sayings like, it's just who you are. You'll always deal with that. You'll always struggle with that. It's just the cards you were dealt. These are all cultural statements and words that we've been taught to move us into a place where we compromise God's standard for our life and we settle for less than what God has for us. The Bible said that he knows the plans he has for us. No, let's pick that. We got a little bit of time. Let's pick that apart for a second. That God knows the plans he has for us. It's not our plans. It's not the enemy's plans. It's plans that he planned out and designed long before we were ever born. And the Bible goes on to say, and they are plans to prosper. At some point, we were sold this lie that because of who we are or because of what we've done, 
that somehow we're disqualified from that promise that God made. And now that because we're disqualified, watch this, I'm going to settle for less. I'll never have that. Why won't you? Why won't you? I'll never find somebody I can love. Why won't you? I'll never get out of this situation. Why won't you? I'll never overcome that. Why won't you? Well, it just, you know. Well, according to the Bible I read, God promised you prosperity. God promised you successful. God promised you blessed. God promised you greater. So the answer to that is to fight those enemies that are trying to keep you from it. So how do you do it? Okay, because I don't think any of us are really that surprised by what the enemies are. My flesh, my pride, my compromise, we're all kind of like, yep, yep, been there. I think the question that you and I would want to ask each other is, how do I fight it? (laughs) I know what the enemy is, but Troy, how do I fight it? Because I've been trying to fight this thing for years to no success. How do I fight it? I would tell you, you fight it the same way Jesus fought it. He, He modeled it for us, but we miss this sometimes. Every time that the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus fought it by quoting Scripture. So when I tell you that that we need to have greater engagement in the Word and that we need to meditate on it day and night so that it it will not leave our lips, I don't say that just so that we can sit at a table and have Andy's ice cream. I, I tell you that so that when the enemy comes, we're ready to fight. That when insecurity and your flesh start to rise up against the possibility of you experiencing greater, you quote Scripture. That when your pride starts to rise up and get in the way of you and greater, you can quote Scripture. That when there's an opportunity to compromise, because there will be, and he slides in slick like he does and tries to get you to trade great for good, you can fight with Scripture. It's the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. It's the Word of God. It's your weapon. Let me tell you this quick story and then we'll pray. At that same table with my family, and we're talking about Bible verses and memory, scripture memorization. My youngest, in case you read my nine-year-old, she tells us this story that while we were in Memphis on Christmas break with my in-laws, she ended up watching a TV show with her cousin that we don't normally let her watch, and it, and it scared her. And she said to us, she said, the other night I was in the bed and I couldn't go to sleep because that show scared me. This is not the first time that our child has not been able to sleep because she was scared. And her routine's pretty much the same. She comes downstairs, she cries to us, we try to figure out some way to, you know, help her until she can fall asleep and it's over. We were like, well, we don't remember you coming down that night. And she's like, I didn't. She said, because that last Sunday when we were at church in V-Kids, the V-Kids leadership, they were teaching us a memory verse. And she quotes the verse sitting at the table. And it's a verse about not being afraid. And so she said, Dad, I just laid in the bed and prayed that verse. And she said, and then I fell asleep just like that. And of course, we're freaking out. We're like, oh, man, you look at you. Oh, my gosh, you did what the Bible said, and it worked. Ah! Blown away. But it, it, it was so eye-opening, and it, it was so rich to know that she struggled with something. She had been taught a verse and hid it in her heart. She quoted the verse, and the enemy left. Y'all, sometimes I feel like I'm up here 
saying it too simple, but this is my favorite thing I've ever said. When you and I experience trouble in life, if we will learn just to quote scripture, the enemy has to flee. Can we please stop fighting with weapons that don't work? I wonder sometimes if our Father's in heaven watching us going, I've given you the weapon. What are you, what are you doing? Breaking his heart because he's seeing us lose a battle that we should have never lost. Do me a favor, would you stand with me? So this is why I plead to you that over now, these next 14 days, that you would begin this fast and you would set a pattern and a time for you to read the Word of God. Because I'm telling you, and I know it in my heart, that whatever the enemy is that you're fighting, if you will hide and meditate on the Word of God, it'll become the weapon for you to defeat that enemy. I know it. I'm not saying it just because I pastor a church. I'm telling you, I've lived it every day of my life. Not every day. But it's important, and it's important for you. I, I told you last week that when we read the Word of God, it like a mirror, it gives us three things. It gives us certification, affirmation. It gives us correction, and then it gives us courage for the next thing that God's going to do and call us to do. Isn't it funny that the three enemies we fight, watch this, the enemy of affirmation and certification would be my flesh, my insecurity. The enemy of correction would be pride. And the enemy of a courage to do something great would be to decide to compromise. The very thing that the, God, that the word of God gives us was made to fight the very enemies that we're facing. So I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the spirit of God to give you a fresh fire for the word of God. Father, I thank you right now for everybody in this room, for everybody under the name of this church. Father, you've moved on our hearts to have a hunger for your word. That this year, we're going to experience greater, but we're going to experience it by being engaged in your word. And so I pray over every person in this room, every person, every man, every woman, every mom, every dad, every husband, every wife, every single person, every friend, every child, every person in this room, that you would give us a fresh fire for your word. That God, when we would wake up in the morning, come on, begin to ask him in your own words. That when we wake up in the morning, we, we can't do anything until we, until we get into your word, until we taste and see that it's good, until we study it, until we read it, until we absorb it, until we meditate on it. Come on, light something in us. Would you just ask him in your own words, whatever that means to you. Say, Father, Father, give me a passion. Give me a burden. Give me a hunger for the word of God, for the word of God. Father, teach us how to use the weapons you've given us that we can win the very battles that we have to face. That, Father, no matter what we do, no matter what we go into, you've given us the authority to win that war through the Word of God. You're our champion, Jesus. And we worship you today. Come on, let's worship him in this place. Put your worship back on him. Thank him right now for his Word.